What is up, Better World Humans? It's the Better World Challenge podcast. In this episode today, I am bringing to you Ben Hindi, a sustainability professional at the University of Oregon. In our conversation, we talk about the exciting changes coming into the sustainability industry, how you can input a daily practice of sustainability in your lifestyle for anyone, I swear. And we talk a little bit about Elon Musk and electric vehicles. So let's dive in, my friends. Hi, I'm Justin Furtado, a social entrepreneur with a passion and experience in community engagement and philanthropy located in Eugene, Oregon. It's our responsibility to take care of our communities, have uplifting conversations, and make the world a better place. You're listening to the Better World Challenge Podcast. Welcome to the Better World Challenge podcast, Ben. It's great to have you on this morning. I'm really looking forward to our conversation surrounding sustainability, sustainability leadership. And my first question for you, which is my first question for all my guests, is what inspires and motivates you when you get out of bed in the morning? You know, lately and for the last few years, it's been Trump and kind of the undoing of the policies and, and where we were kind of moving as a society. Um, so I've seen a big kind of shift with like Rocky Mountain Institute. Uh, they've rebranded themselves in the last month as RMI, and they're going to be doing some climate intelligence and green biz and all these different companies are starting to maybe emerge again with a little more passion. And so that's kind of something that I'm interested in right now and that I'm thinking about kind of all day long. But I would think my overarching thing that kind of wakes me up in the morning and that kind of keeps me going is a little bit of what we talked about before you hit record, and that's your generation being woke. And, um, you know, I was teaching undergraduates, environmental studies and science for a few years. And even from 2017 to 2020, you could see a shift in the language people were using. You know, you could see a shift in in what the students are actually wanting to kind of do. And, you know, I've just considered them like being bought in, you know, from the beginning. But I think I like your word a lot better, woke. You know, it's like you don't have to spend your time convincing the class that climate change is real or that sustainability is necessary, you know, they're already loosely demanding it and it's kind of ingrained in their DNA. So that for me, um, I did a research project with my kids and they pretended to be um, my two younger girls. They pretended to be news newscasters and they went around town like interviewing people, you know, what do you think of climate change and what do you think of sustainability? And they were interviewing other kids. And, you know, it was just like hearing even elementary and middle school age kids, you know, they're all so woke. It's not a question in their mind. And so that's what kind of keeps me going because I'm getting a little older, getting a little tired, but <laughs> that's something that I really think is, it's here to stay. No, that's that's really a great point. And I honestly, when I was working at kids sports camp, this is a little side note is they were so aware of the issues that were going on with like 
TikTok being banned in China and I, like at like fifth grade. And I was like, how in the world are you understanding this right now? There's no way I would have had any idea what's going on at fifth grade. But the Internet has connected us to so many different things. And maybe that's how we are so aware of what's going on in the world and with our climate. And, you know, I want to scale it back before we got to dive into the next generation of leadership of sustainability. Like, where did your passion for sustainability come from and how did that lead you to where you are today? So my passion for sustainability came from growing up without having enough initially and trying to do more with less and realizing that you actually could do more with less and then realizing that one person's trash is another person's treasure. And then uh, one of my first real kind of jobs was at Albertsons. And I was trying to, the, the expired food, for example, I was trying to give that to um, people who needed, you know, who wanted to eat it, donate it to the food bank, that kind of thing. And this is 20, 25 years ago. And at that point, Albertsons was definitely not on board with that kind of activity. And the main reason they cited was they were afraid of lawsuits, that what if somebody got sick from the food and decided to sue them or, you know, that it was a, it was a cost benefit analysis. And so um, it was just that kind of denial uh, is what kind of sent me back to grad school. And then I got the MBA in sustainable business and a master's degree in environmental studies was to try and better understand how to speak the corporate language, the C-suite language, because you know, the cost benefit analysis, I understand that and I understand risk, but I also understand transparency and how you could theoretically position yourself, Albertsons, as, you know, a better company. I mean, they already charge a lot, but, you know, there's a way to recoup your sustainability efforts either through, you know, additional sales or higher kind of price points or whatever that looks like. Yeah, that's great. And so what what are some of these ways that, you know, I, I hear you talking about like, you had to go back at your MBA, speak this corporate language and be able to bring about change. You know, I feel like corporate social responsibility has taken a whole new wave, especially within diversity and equity um, after the George Floyd protests. But I, I have seen companies like Microsoft pledge to be carbon, not only carbon new, neutral, but carbon negative. I, I don't know the year. Um, so there has been businesses like stepping out of the box. And what is the difference between greenwashing? and actually people actually taking action? So sometimes, you know, well, first of all, the only way to really know is to do a little bit of research. And so, um, and even somebody that's been dubbed greenwashed or greenwashers, you know, like let's take seventh generation, for example, right? So they got busted, greenwashing, you know, they got a lot of bad PR. Um, and so they righted that wrong and now they are truly trying to take it to the next level. Or let's say Nike, for example, when they got in trouble for the sweatshop thing, you know, 10, 20 years ago, probably 15 years ago, um, they are, I'm not going to say on a higher level than like Patagonia or something like that, because Patagonia was founded with a set of principles, you know, but Nike the level of detail, the level of accountability, the level of transparency, 
the level of carbon accounting. And if you were to look at, say, their financial uh, reports or their social, you know, uh, their sustainability reports, what you would see is that they have seriously positioned themselves in a way and in a place to ensure that that never happens again. So not only, you know, were they loosely apologizing, I mean, they did it because they got caught and they, you know, they're, they're fixing it because they got caught. Um, but now they're hiring and they have been hiring people that are already on board with sustainability. So they're just kind of keeping the ball moving, you know, they're driving it forward a little more. No, that's cool. So what is some of the, like Nike stepping up to the plate and like looking at some of these sustainability reports, like what are people like looking for? So in a lot of ways, they're looking for uh, water conservation, for example, or with Nike, are they doing um, all they can in this case? So like materiality, you know, what's important to Nike might not necessarily be important to the people on the ground in Indonesia who are making Nike's whatever, right? Whatever widget they happen to be making. And so um, what's in these reports are how Nike is treating those people on the ground. So for example, um, are they going to these places? Let's just run with Indonesia for an example. You know, are they going there and building things for the community and doing things that they think are the right thing to do because historically that was part of the ESG kind of equation. Now, in the last maybe two years, three years, we've learned to take that even a bit further and to stop being so America knows best and poking our nose in other people's business and doing what we think they want. And now Nike is having conversations with them. So Nike is talking to the people in Indonesia and saying, hey, what do you need? Hey, what do you want? So it's that kind of thing as as far as the social and safety in the warehouses, excuse me, in the factories, cameras in the factories, full transparency. Um, there's a lot of work that's gone into dyes, for example. Dyes are incredibly toxic. Um, they're even just phasing out some of the really bad dyes. Um, you know, they're doing stuff with, with material in their shoes, for example. So if you can't make something thinner because you need it to be thicker, for example, they're injecting air or they're using other ways to use less materials and still provide the same widget, whatever that looks like. Yeah, that's great. And so one of the things that I've heard is like more of a collaboration versus telling people how to do and how to enact some of these things within their own communities. And uh, my next question for you is, you know, we, we're back in the Paris Climate Accord. And so there's, you know, United States is, you know, deemed in whatever way of this you know, leader of the free world, but we haven't exactly been the leader of, you know, the climate revolution. Do you see us actually being a player in that in the future? My hope is, yeah. And I think it's unavoidable because we're America the great or whatever, you know, and everybody kind of looks to us. I think it's really going to depend on, I mean, don't get me wrong. We have John Kerry and we have all these people now in the White House doing, you know, climate and sustainability kind of efforts. Um, you know, are we really going to spend the next four years undoing what was done or are we going to be able to actually like push the ball forward? So I think the next administration is really maybe going to kind of set kind of the 
the path forward to see, you know, specifically, can America actually be a leader in in in, in climate change, you know, and sustainability? Um, it, it's tricky. My thoughts, my my hunch is yes, um, but I'm not a hundred percent. What are some of these like tactics and things that we can actually like push the ball forward? Like what, what is the ball moving forward look like? So for me, what I think the ball is passing legislation, for example, that, um, you know, it's hard to get people to do things right. Even if they believe in it, sometimes they're not always going to maybe comply or whatever, especially when we're talking, you know, I'm not talking about straws and plastic bags. I mean, those are like feel good things for people. So, you know, whatever, do they really make an impact? Probably not. Um, but, you know, real change is going to be through industry and through um, changing the way that we do things here in the United States. And so, it's going to come to passing laws and legislation. I think it's also going to be an ex so uh, an extension of the United States. So, for example, if we have the vast majority of our stuff produced in China, is it cool to tell China, you know, how to manufacture that, right? I just saw a report, I don't know, probably in the last week or two, the United States I think 2020 was 11% of the total carbon footprint of the globe and China was 25 or 30 or something like that. And they were projected to just kind of keep trending up. And so between the two, that's more than a third of the entire globe's CO2 emissions, right? And so I used to think shame on us, America, you know, for for having our stuff made in other places and then bitching about the way that they do it. And I, my, my thinking has somewhat kind of refined on that in that maybe we need to force the hand. And so maybe we say, hey, we want these goods manufactured in your country, but it needs to adhere to X or, you know, that kind of thing. So <clears throat> I think by extension through international policy, trade, maybe even stuff that's coming into the country, if it wasn't produced in a sustainable way, we might not accept it, you know, that kind of thing. So we could force other people's hands. And the pressure on, you know, countries like China that emit that that have so many different factories, but are such large emitters that like, if you don't change your ways, we're going to go elsewhere. And I'm sure that's a very challenging task. And so one thing that's very hot right now is electric cars, electric vehicles. Everyone loves Tesla. Everyone loves Elon Musk. Um, it is, what is uh, the, the future of electric vehicles looking like? Is that, you know, the big thing? Or should we look into almost like, you know, you talked about industries, you talk about construction is a big one. So my thoughts, first, first question is Elon Musk, Tesla, electric vehicles, What's the truth? So for me, I just did a project on um, Lane County kind of buses and electric vehicles and first mile, last mile, and trying to find solutions for transportation. And so what we were trying to figure out was like, let's say, you know, picture, I don't know, just a bus or a train or whatever that looks like around town, a trolley. And so how are people getting 
to that train trolley? How are they going to get home um, from the bus stop or whatever? And so we were looking at adding like many electric vehicles. We were looking at adding like um, little scooters, you know, that are actually like on the buses. And so people who take the bus, for example, as a way of life, they would be able to take that vehicle home and then they bring it back in the morning when they get on the bus again in the morning to go. So to kind of encourage more people. But then all these other questions came up like, you know, disabled people or old people or inclement weather. Can they ride the scooters through the snow? You know, it's like you have to start thinking about all these things. And so while that may be one solution for some of the time, it's not the solution all of the time. And so Electric cars are definitely here to stay. They're definitely getting better and better and better and better with each, you know, new iteration, I guess. But the big deal is nobody except for people in the sustainability sphere, regular everyday users aren't necessarily thinking about where the electricity that they're charging these vehicles is coming from, right? So if you're buying your electricity from a coal powered plant, you're doing the exact same, maybe even worse than the gas, you know? So it's like, dude, you know, in that sense, it's kind of like pick your poison, right? But maybe where you live, California has that new law. It's been in effect for what, a year now? All new home builds are required to have solar energy. And so if you are charging your vehicle from solar, I mean, it's definitely any way you slice it, it's a win-win. The issue still arises with minerals and the batteries and conflict minerals in particular. And I've seen some fights over lithium and just different types of struggles. So for sure, EVs are here to stay. I foresee a bit of ongoing issues with the minerals and trying to kind of fine tune, you know, disposing of batteries or remanufacturing batteries. Um, I met with uh, a, a gal in the Bay Area. Her company's called Silvatex. And just for my brain, so I understand it, it's kind of like injecting a microscopic amount of water drop in each drop of diesel. So basically, you have diesel that's been watered down, but on kind of a molecular level and in such a way that whatever you're driving isn't impacted by it. So you're using like a third of the diesel, but your car still thinks it's like full diesel kind of thing, you know? So there's a lot of, her dad actually pioneered this like 50 years ago, and she was also a chemist and kind of took it to the next level. And then she's got a startup in the Bay Area. But I think these other solutions, you know, things like that could buy us more time, you know, maybe. Um, but there's a lot of kind of ideas circulating. Right. So it's EVs aren't this end-all, be-all solution. But there are a lot of other subtle nuances and techniques that are actually, you know, working to build a better world, be more sustainable. And that's, that's really cool. And so my, you know, for those that are wanting to make a difference and want to potentially go down, you know, a career path of having a sustainable impact, what are some words of advice you have for them? Go vegan. Um, I mean, that's kind of, you know, one of the big guns, but um, if they want to get a career, you know, if they want to start a career in sustainability, is that kind of mainly 
Okay. So, you know, there's a lot of different sustainable paths and sustainable routes. So sustainability can be achieved in just about any discipline. I mean, if you're at college, you know, or any kind of uh, area, any kind of work, you know, it's in everything we do. Um, One of the projects I did as an undergrad was I was using legumes as a nitrogen source to power plants. So rather than using fertilizer, you just plant a few legumes because they fix nitrogen and they put it into the soil. And so the plant that's a high nitrogen plant, for example, cannabis, hemp, in in that particular example, um, you didn't need to use any outside nitrogen in order to feed the plants. And so essentially I found just by accident, kind of, you know, a sustainable way to kind of grow those plants in particular. Um, But I think it really comes down to the way we live, kind of like your better world challenge isn't like one specific thing. It's all the things that we do together that make a difference, right? So if you're working for the trailblazers in Portland and you're at a desk all day and you're thinking about sustainability, Maybe there's a way to refine the player's travel schedule. Maybe they don't fly unless the plane is full. Maybe they take a bus and they take less buses. Maybe they only take uh, the players that are needed for this one game, you know, and they're cutting their carbon footprint in half. You know, you can be sustainable in anything and everything you do, I think. You just have to kind of be thinking about it. So what I'm hearing is it's kind of a mindset. It's like one of those things where it's like, if you're thinking about it, you can kind of be, you can create your own solutions wherever you're working, whether it be in the construction industry, whether it be uh, at a desk with the Portland Trailblazers and, you know, maybe you're getting fans to, uh, I don't know, maybe you're, you're getting your, the food to be composted at the end of the game, I'm, whatever it is, like you can make that difference. And so you talked a little bit about um, kind of daily practices, like going vegan. What are some other like, you know, practices to help, you know, be more sustainable? Sure. So the, you know, the big guns really are essentially kind of the energy that you use uh, here in Eugene and in the Pacific Northwest, for the most part, the energy that we are getting is, I mean, I I can't remember the numbers, but maybe 50 times cleaner than the East Coast, maybe more so. It's hydroelectric power or wind power that's coming in here. So the vast majority of us are already kind of being set up for success, at least from the energy standpoint. Um, You know, taking the bus when possible, using public transportation, um, vegan, I just thought, or even, you know, a couple of times a week. It just seems an easy thing for a lot of people to do, especially with all the options that are out there now. Um, But don't just go drive to the store every time you need a little something. You know, wait a day, wait a couple of days, make a list, you know, buy two of those things so you don't have to, you know, maybe go again. Because it's kind of hard to take the bus or public transportation to the grocery store, right? So odds are you're probably going to drive if you have a car or get a ride, you know, Um, or even Lyfts and Ubers. A lot of people don't even know that you can ride share in a Lyft or an Uber, you know, then you're kind of maybe cutting the carbon in half or, you know, and you still have to go to two separate destinations. But, you know, theoretically, it's 
it's reducing the carbon output. Um, but lime scooters, you know, anything that you can do in your everyday life just to kind of reduce your own personal consumption, uh, clothing, fast fashion, you know, there's so many things that you can do. Not everyone can afford Patagonia, right? And so, I mean, you know, I try to buy maybe one Patagonia thing a year if I can, you know, but they last for many years, you know. So I think it's just kind of in the way we live. Um, yeah. Most definitely in the way we live. And I, I've learned that the hard way of like, sometimes I'm like, oh, I kind of want to go cheaper on this, but the, the cheaper you buy, the less, the less amount of time it's going to last. And so that's not a sustainable lifestyle. And also it costs, ends up costing more money in the long run. It totally sometimes does. You just gotta, yeah. Sometimes <laughs> you just got to fork out that money in the front first place. So um, that's great. And what is your better world tip? Um, on sustainability, you, you kind of been talking about it, but if you had like one tip to kind of summarize it all up and package it, what would it be? Uh, I would say focus on the subsequent generations. I, I would truly say pour in to your generation because you guys are essentially going to be running everything and are beginning to run everything, you know, and you're really going to probably make the biggest difference over the coming couple of decades. And I think, I think I'm going to shift gears and work at the university in advising and kind of stay here for a little bit and working with students to try and specifically gear them up for this kind of change, you know, especially since they are so bought in. But that would be my tip is, you know, Let's kind of forget about the boomers and all the past and let's kind of move forward with, you know, the new generation and let's kind of, you know, ensure that the truth is out there. I love that. Putting in that energy into the next generation to make sure that they're the actual true leaders to bring us about real tangible change in the future. And so what does a better world look like for you in 2021? I mean, it's already a better world uh, just from a political standpoint. Um, but I think the Paris, you know, climate, you know, there's already just so many things that have happened. Right. And so I think, I think it's going to be John Kerry reengaging us into the world's kind of sphere. We're back in the world health organization. You know, I think it's going to be about transparency and it's going to be about the truth and it's going to be about, um, kind of, you know, America walking the walk, I think kind of. Uh, and that's my hope for 2021 is that it's not an iteration of 2020. Most definitely. Let's stop talking. Let's stop more walking. Um, I appreciate that. I appreciate your time today, Ben. It was a really good conversation and I hope everyone got a lot out of this. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Better World Challenge podcast. I hope you're feeling inspired right now to make a difference in your own community. If you want to find out more about what you can do, check out thebetterworldchallenge.com and don't forget to leave a like, comment, and subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts as it's the best way to share our message. Together, we can bring about real, tangible change. 